Hi, welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. Good morning. Y'all are a great looking group of people. And I'm excited to be here today. Uh, Marilyn and I have been here about three years, and I know many of you uh, primarily because we lead the prayer team. And those of you who don't know me, you can join the prayer team so we can meet. (laughs) Shameless plug, but I have the mic, right? (laughs) You just didn't know. No, really, I'm really excited, and I really appreciate Pastor Ross giving me the opportunity to share with you today, although, as he said, this isn't my comfort zone. This is not what I do every week, and I have a great deal of respect for those who do, but I'm a little suspect about his motive of asking me to speak, because I know that any number of you could speak here and do what I'm doing. But I kind of think it might be some payback for when I really beating bad playing golf about three weeks ago. <laughs> terrible. Terrible. It was terrible. We were all terrible. And I'm not sure lessons would help any of us. But be that as it may, I'm really excited to be here and share. So can we just pray before we get started? So Father, we welcome you here today. We pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me what it is that you want us to hear today. And we just pray that we might bring glory and honor to you In Jesus' name. So today we're talking about a personal calling in work. And so what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about work? Let's take a look. What is this? Happy holidays, Dwight. But do not open it till Christmas. You're so pathetic. How long did this take you? Three hours? Five minutes, actually. I am a black belt in gift wrapping. Yeah, no such thing. They don't give out black belts for things that are stupid. (laughs) Well, I hope it was worth it, because I'm going to take it apart in about five minutes. I think it'll take you a little bit longer than that. Really? If I can skin a mule deer in less than ten minutes, I ought to be able to cut my... I guess you could say that Jim was utilizing his gifts and talents to have an impact on the workplace. (laughs) Although I'm not sure Dwight would agree with that. So as someone who spent over 30 years in the secular workplace, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations, debates, prayer about this whole thing about a personal call in work. And like many of you, I've struggled with some really hard questions like, 
who am I uniquely created to be? What am I uniquely created to do? And what am I, where am I uniquely created to go? I'm a keep it simple kind of guy. And those are some pretty deep and complex questions. And honestly, I don't have a three-point series of message today that's going to answer those questions for each one of you individually. But what I do want to do today is look at my voyage, my journey, my work-life journey. I want to look at a passage in Scripture where Jesus has an encounter with, uh, with Peter. And then I'm going to ask all of us some probing questions about the, the verses of Scripture that I hope will help bring a little clarity to the, to the topic, maybe simplify it a little bit, so that when we walk out of here today, we'll all have a better understanding of what this personal calling at work is so that we can impact those that are around us. How does that sound? So as I was preparing for this message today and what to share, I began to look back at my own journey in the secular world, the real job. They say hindsight's twenty twenty, and in the context of our topic today, it was a very interesting exercise for me because it helped me to remember things that really had an impact on not only who I am, but what I did in the workplace. And in particular, there were two decisions or landmarks, I'll call them, that had a tremendous impact. And I say landmark because this is how landmark is defined. It's an event, a discovery, or a change marking an important stage or turning point in something. So, with that definition, keep that in mind, let's get right to it. So the first landmark for Galen Boyd was that I needed to know Jesus not only as Savior, but as Lord. So a little bit about me. I was born into a Christian home, went to a denominational church, and I gave my heart to Jesus when I was in the eighth grade. I was at all the church activities. When the doors were open, we were there. I had totally bought into a works-based mentality. And consequently, religion wasn't very appealing to me. So when I went off to college, I put God on a shelf. And he didn't come off that shelf unless I needed to pass a test or I got into trouble. (laughs) And I'm sure many of you could probably relate to that. That was pretty much the extent of my spiritual life until I graduated in college and went on to Dallas to go to work for one of the largest banks in Texas. Early in my career as a working adult, you could say that Jesus was Savior, but he certainly wasn't Lord. Being a Christian was something that I did occasionally, but it wasn't who I was. I compartmentalized my life where Monday through Friday, it was get to the top regardless who got in my way. And on Saturday, Sunday, it was have fun, have fun, and have more fun. Based on my priorities, you can imagine the impact that I had on my workplace. Despite the fact that I was a Christian, I bought in and was totally blinded to what the world said I needed to do to make it to the top. 
At that time, I was proud of my toughness and my ability to get things done. And honestly, everything else was pretty much secondary. Some colleagues at work even call me Darth Vader, if that kind of gives you a picture. <laughs> now, half of you in here don't even know who Darth Vader is, but... <laughs> it was during that time, one night, late at work as an analyst, that all changed when one of my colleagues asked me if I was going to heaven. Well, of course I'm going to heaven. I'm a Christian. I began to tell him about my conversion, you know, in the eighth grade. I began to tell him what a good person that I was. And, you know, we've all said those things. But it was as a result of that conversation, it became painfully obvious to me that my life was all about who I wanted to be, what I wanted to do, and where I wanted to go. Convicted, I rededicated my life to Jesus as Savior and Lord, which simply means I'm giving God power and authority over all of my life. That decision set my life on a new path, and it was a different direction that has changed me forever. I made adjustments to my lifestyle. My attitude about people, places, and things shifted. Every priority that I had changed. So why is that important? Why was that so important in my case? Because when Jesus wasn't Lord of all, I didn't have a call. Kevin and Kay Brinfleck wrote a book that they titled Living Your Calling, and this is what they have to say. Before being called to something or somewhere, we're called to someone. Before we are called to do, we are called to be. Our primary calling is to be in a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So our primary calling is knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord. And as we respond to God's call to salvation through faith in Jesus, then the process, as we all know, the process of becoming a disciple happens. And by doing that, we become a disciple by learning about Him through studying His Word, We learn who He is, who we are in Christ, the authority that we have in the believer, as a believer. And then we learn, as we learn more about Him, we grow in Him through things like Catalyst. Catalyst. Serving on Team One. Okay. Being in a small group for community. That's how we grow. And then as we learn and grow, then we're able to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, it says in Ephesians 4.1. But it doesn't end there. This faith, this life of faith in Jesus, where He's Savior and Lord, opens our eyes to see the world around us differently. Knowing Him changes your perspective. That's my word for 2019 perspective because it literally impacts everything you do in life. Perspective is a particular attitude towards or a way of regarding something. It's a point of view. When I made my decision, a shift began to take place in my life from the unholy trinity of me, my, and mine to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Oh, and there was one other thing that changed. How I treated my colleagues. No more Darth Vader. You can imagine the reactions that I got from people when I smiled and asked them how they were doing. My work environment changed, and so did my influence with my coworkers. As we know and walk closely with God, we move from our agenda to His agenda. We begin to see where He's working, and by God's grace and with a little faith, we get the privilege of joining Him as his fellow workers, as it says in 1 Corinthians 3, 9. Hebrews 3, 14 in the New English Translation says that we become partners with Christ. Partners. So as partners, we find ourselves in these various situations, circumstances, and roles during our lifetime. What are those, you might ask? Well, being a parent a spouse, a family member, a student, a church member, a friend, a neighbor, a volunteer, owner of a business. Many Bible scholars call these secondary callings. Oz Guinness describes the difference between primary and secondary this way. He says, we can therefore properly say as a matter of secondary calling that we are called to homemaking or to the practice of law or to art history. But these and other things are always secondary, never the primary calling. They are callings rather than the calling. They are our personal answer to God's address, our response to God's summons. Secondary callings matter, but only because the primary calling matters most. In other words, a secondary calling is anything God calls you to do. Now, this really hit home for me when uh, our daughter, Rebecca, firstborn, was about three or four. And one of the highlights of my day coming home from work is when I would walk into the house, Rebecca would run and jump into my arms, (laughs) hug my neck, give me a kiss, and tell me that she loved me. One day I was having this conversation with the Lord, and he asked me a question. He said, Galen, what do you like being about a dad? And I told him, I said, God, I I love it when my daughter runs and gives me a hug, kiss, and, you know, tells me that she loves me. And he said, I'd really like that if you would do that with me too. And then he asked me another question. He said, what if... Rebecca spent all of her time doing things that she knew would please you but never had the time because she was so busy washing the car, taking out the trash, mowing your grass. She was so busy doing those things that she didn't spend any time with you. Well, I told him. I said, I wouldn't like that at all. Because spending time with her is much more important than anything that she could ever do for me. He said, so why are you doing all those things 
that you know will please me and you're not spending any time with me. There's one thing that's needful. That's knowing him. Knowing Jesus as not only your Savior, but as Lord. Everything else, everything else that we do emanates, it originates from our time with him. Everything. And when he says, go wash the car, go wash the car. Okay? When he says, go help that colleague at work with that difficult project, go do that. But only after you've spent that time with him. So this leads me to my second landmark decision. <clears throat> excuse me. And that was... Excuse me. <clears throat> so the second landmark decision... <clears throat> is let the Holy Spirit lead. In order to do that, I want to talk about someone who has a secular job in the New Testament that I think we can all relate to at some level. He was ordinary, hardworking, passionate, flawed. He overpromises and underdelivers, and he had some epic failures. Talking about Peter. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the fifth chapter of Luke. And what we find here is Jesus is speaking by the lake near where Peter and his crew have been fishing. It's an interesting story because it starts with a night of fruitless effort. It ends or it includes a miraculous uh, abundance and it ends with a complete life change. So let's read. Luke 1, we're going to read uh, one, verses 1 through 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gesenerath, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats there left by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats with the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put, down a little from shore, put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put, out a little, put into deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they'd done so, they had caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in their other boat to come, help them, and they came and filled the boat so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So we're being told here that the word of God is being preached by Jesus, and it's getting crowded. The people are probably pressing in because they want to hear well. And Jesus decides to get in a boat to avoid the crowding, and instead of rowing himself out, he asked Peter to do it for him. Now that sounds simple enough, but here's more of the story. We know that Peter had been up all night. He had been working hard. He and his companions didn't catch a fish. And when Jesus asked him for help, Simon is busy working, washing his nets. 
I think we can also assume that Simon Peter was probably tired. He was probably frustrated, maybe even mad. He was ready to get his task completed. And if he was like me, he's ready to go home and have dinner. All this is going on while Peter is working. He's doing his job. Yet when asked by Jesus, he drops what he's doing and does what he's asked to do. Now, I promised you earlier we were going to ask some probing questions about these passages. So here's your first question. How will you respond to Jesus when he asks, I need your help. Will you join, join me? Remember, you're working hard, you're tired, you're frustrated, you're angry, you're ready to go home. What are you going to say? I don't know about you, but when I'm at work, I have this tendency to have my head down and my pencil up. It's to-do lists, it's appointments, it's reading materials, phone calls, emails, texts, game face on, job to do, no interruptions, no distractions, please. Anybody relate? But this is what I've learned over the years. Is when I get those internal nudgings, when those thoughts pop into my head, and admit it, you get them too. Or I see a situation where I can provide assistance to a coworker. If I'll just stop and pause, I'm much more prone to hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying to me at that time. And I most definitely see more of God at work in my life. I want to encourage you that when you're at work, be diligent, be purposeful, be aware of what's going on. Listen. Pay attention to the things that are happening in the cubicle next door to you. You might even ask God what you're supposed to do. That's a novel idea. Will you join him? So the next verse says, is when they had finished speaking, he said, Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So question number two. What will you do when Jesus asks, do you trust me? Or we can put it another way. What are you going to do when he asks you to do something that just doesn't make sense or you know is impossible? It was probably no big deal for Simon to step out of his, from washing his nets and, and helping Jesus get out into the boat. But seriously... Jesus is a rabbi. He's not a fisherman. And he's giving Simon Peter a fishing lesson. Seriously? You can imagine some of the thoughts that were going through Peter's mind. I'm the fisherman. I've been doing this all my life. What do you know? How about this one? Well, that just doesn't make sense, dude. I mean, come on. How many times have I said that? Simon does give a little pushback by stating the obvious in verse 5. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. That was his reality. That was exactly what had happened. 
But look what he says at the end of verse 5. He says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Underline that in your Bible or highlight it in your phone. Because you say so. Peter set aside everything he knew as a fisherman and went out to the deep water and dropped his nets and he caught so many fish that the nets were breaking and both boats were, were filling up so, so much they were sinking. How many fish do you think Simon Peter would have caught had he just done his job and gone home for dinner? How many times have I looked at my circumstances, a particular situation at work, a relationship, a challenge or a problem, and prematurely decided to ignore the nudgings or the thoughts that pop into my head or arbitrarily forego an opportunity to help a colleague because of time? How many times have I convinced myself that there's absolutely nothing I can do because it doesn't make sense? They probably don't want my help anyway. I really shouldn't get involved. You fill in the blank. Will you trust him? John 10.10 says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. When a rabbi told a fisherman to go into the deep water and drop his nets after he had fished all night and caught nothing, you can bet that the thief was right there in his ear telling him, trying to convince him that if he dropped the nets just one more time, it wasn't worth it. Yet by trusting in Jesus and obeying his commands, Peter experienced what was beyond the realm of reality and partook of the supernatural nature of God. Every time you step out in faith to fulfill your calling and destiny in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're one more time. The enemy will be there to try to steal, kill, and destroy the very thing that God has supernaturally ordained for you. Regardless of who you are, what you do, where you are, you have an enemy, and he's dead set against everything that God's asking you to do. The devil will try to intimidate you with fear, doubt, and unbelief. Don't buy it. Don't buy it. Move forward boldly. And don't do it just because I'm telling you to do it. Do it because he said so. So let's continue on in verse 6. And it says, When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners to come to the, to the other, and the other boats to come and help them. And they came and fulfill, filled the boats so full that they began to sink. Have you ever wondered why Jesus arranged for them to catch such a large number of fish? Do you think he felt sorry for them because they had fished all night and hadn't caught a thing? Maybe he wanted to bless them financially so that you know, they could sell the fish and make a lot of money. Well, I'd submit to you a couple of things. 
people are much more impacted by what they see than by what they hear. But I would also tell you, I believe Jesus wanted Simon Peter to experience the supernatural presence of God. Which leads me to my next question. Do you really believe Jesus is who he says he is? Jesus walked into Peter's supernatural world of fishing and allowed him to experience the supernatural power of God. And as a result, Peter's life was changed forever. Jesus wants us to do the same thing. As followers of Jesus, he's commanded us to go into all the world, which includes our workplace, our neighborhood, our school, our community, and make disciples. There's absolutely no question that I have that ability to do it in my own strength. But need I remind you that as Christ followers, we carry the Holy Spirit inside of us. And it's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. There's no more power than that. Jesus said in John 14, 12, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do. So think about the things that Jesus did in his ministry. Heal the sick, blind eyes see, deaf ears hear. He raised people from the dead. He gave them words of wisdom, words of knowledge. He gave prophecy, various kinds of miracles. To him who believes, these things you will do. We have the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to radically impact our world for the kingdom of God. Will you believe? So what does that look like practically? I'll give you an example for me. It's business cards. You say business cards. Well, I felt like I, I was led by the Holy Spirit. This thought popped into my head that when I meet with people, I'd pray before my meeting. I'd ask God to give me a word for them, and I'd write it down on the back of my card. And when I was in the meeting, I'd give them the card. Bless you. That is really difficult for me because I meet with lots of people all the time. And telling, and, and the, as Pastor Ross said earlier, all of my meetings are about financial matters. So to tell somebody that I had a word for them could be a little awkward. <laughs> and it's totally out of my comfort zone. So I'm having this meeting with this guy extremely successful businessman, well-connected, rich, educated Ivy League, you know, well-connected, known by everybody around town, has a personality that's like a porcupine. I mean, he's, a, he's very difficult to deal with, and I'm thinking, surely you're not going to ask me to give this guy a word. Not him. Sure enough, he did. So, I, you know, I, I write the word, and the word was telling that he's a good dad. 
That's just so random. <laughs> so I write it on the back of my card. I'd stick it in my pocket before the meeting so that when we'd have our conversation, I could pull the card out and then give him the card. So sure enough, we had our meeting. We talked about financial stuff. And then at the end, I took, um, I pulled my card out and I said, hey, I just want you to know that I prayed for our meeting beforehand and I asked God if he wanted to, to, to share something with you. So I gave him the card. He looked at the card. He looked at the card. He looked at the card. By this time, I'm kind of sweats coming down. And he looked at me and he said, I have been struggling with being a, whether I'm a good dad or not for months on end. The opportunity door just opened wide open. Do you believe? And will you allow God to work through you that way? And just before we move on, I'm having a little trouble with my, here we go. So before we move on, there was something else that happened, though, after this supernatural encounter. In verse 5, Peter calls Jesus Master. And then in verse 8, he calls him Lord. Simon's perspective had changed. So it's at this point the miracle of the great fish is done, and you would think that everybody would go home and the thing would be you know, over. But Jesus does one more thing. He looks at Peter and he says 11 words. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Other translations say you will be fishers of men. In the Greek, it literally means catching alive. Instead of pulling fish out of water into an element in which they will die shortly, Jesus is saying to them, in effect, you're going to cast the net of the gospel, drawing people out of death unto life. I love that. So the next question is, are you willing, are you willing to become fishers of men? Every one of us has a sphere of influence, a pond to fish in. A few of my ponds are my immediate family, friends, church, work, etc. And for time, I'm going to skip all those. So my question is, is, where are your ponds? Where do you fish? Is it possible that God is asking you to look around just wherever you are and say, this is my environment. This is where I'm fishing. This is where I have influence. How can I be a part of this grander vision and live my calling right here with who I am, with what I have? And by the way, don't be afraid when you fish. So let's conclude with verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, I'm not telling you that you need to leave everything in order to follow Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying that you need to quit your job and be a full-time minister. But what I am saying is that Peter, James, and John knew Jesus. They knew him. And as a result of this personal relationship, they're willing to leave everything they have to follow him and become fishers of men. So what really matters here is what is Jesus calling you to do? What is he calling you to do? 
As followers of Jesus, we're told to count the cost. We must pick up our cross daily. And if you've walked with God for very long, you know that there's going to be times he's going to ask you to do something that doesn't make sense. The Bible's full of other stories where faith is required. And Marilyn and I over the years have made several faith-based decisions that were clearly out of our comfort zone. And we did them because we felt the Lord was leading us to do that. I left a salaried position with the bank and took a job that only paid me on commission. It was a huge step of faith for us financially and totally out of our comfort zone. We did it because he asked us to do it. I left a great job with one of the largest banks in the world to come to Austin because God was leading us in that direction. Looking back on those decisions, God's fingerprints have been all over them even though they didn't always work out the way that we thought they would. We lost our dream house when I took that job on commission, and that great investment job in Austin, that deal imploded after two years. But the flip side of that is this. Marilyn and I have experienced so many blessings that we didn't even know were going to come by saying yes. In fact... I wouldn't be up here today talking to you about this if we hadn't made those decisions back then. All this to say, I'm very confident as followers of Jesus, he's going to ask you to do things that require faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He allows you to make decisions. However, he will allow you to make that decision. He's not going to force you to do anything. You do have a choice. But as you decide, I want to encourage you to look and consider how God used Peter when he said yes to Jesus and he put out his net into the deep water by faith. Look at what God did with Peter, James, and John when they said yes and left everything behind to follow him. You have testimonies just like that too. So as I close today on this topic of personal calling work, there's two things I just want to encourage you to do. Number one, keep it simple. Don't overthink this. Don't make it more complicated than it has to be. Be yourself. Be who God made you to be. Use your God-given gifts and talents to help people and bring glory to God in every situation and circumstance you find yourself in. You'll be surprised what God will do as you love, care, and serve people well. And all of those complicated things They'll take care of themselves. And then lastly, what I would like to encourage you to do is just say yes. Just say yes to knowing Jesus not only as Savior and, but Lord. Say yes to following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Say yes when he asks you to join him. Do it. Say yes when he tells you to do something that requires faith. Trust him. And say yes when... Uh, and say yes and believe that he is who he says he is and live your life that way. Say yes and don't let fear in any way, form, or fashion determine who you are, what you do, or where you go. And lastly, I'll say this. Say yes and become fishers of men. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word and I pray that the choices we discussed and the questions we asked today will stretch our faith. We're thankful you know and call us by name and desire a true love relationship with us. 
I ask you to continue to clarify the many callings in our lives, and thank you for giving us the blessed presence of the Holy Spirit to help us at all times. We ask that you give us an eternal perspective, give us eyes to see where you are at work, and ears to hear clearly what you're saying and asking us to do. Father, we all also ask that you give us the grace and the faith to say yes to your call and callings. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. See you next time.